Welcome to Reading the Bible Together podcast. If you're following along with us in the study guide, we're going to do the Greek word first, and then we'll get into our conversation for today's chapter. All right, Acts chapter 13. The Greek word today is synagogue, which means synagogue. Uh, can also mean gathering or assembly. assembly. Uh, it comes from the verb sunago, which means I gather together. So it's kind of a, in Greek, you learn that there's these like nounif, these like verbified nouns or nounified verbs uh, where there's a noun version and a, a verb version. And that's kind of what we have going on here. Now, the synagogue was the uh, location where Jewish folks met. It's like the Jewish church. They met there for Torah readings and, uh, you know, Sabbath celebrations and to study the prophets and the writings and that sort of thing. We see Jesus going to a synagogue during his ministry. We see him preaching in a synagogue in Luke chapter 4. And in the second half of the book of Acts, Paul is going to regularly go to the synagogue. When he goes to a new area, he's going to find the synagogue first, and he's going to go there. Why? Because he's a Jewish rabbi. He has the respect. He can walk into any synagogue that he wants to, and they're going to you know, offer him to speak and share. He's going to use that as an opportunity to share about the message of Jesus and his love for all humanity. And that's going to have mixed results. Sometimes that's going to be welcomed, and they're going to say, wow, Paul, can you stay and tell us more? And other times they're going to try to kill him and stone him and leave him for dead, right? So there's a a range there. But the synagogue is a key feature in the book of Acts, something we see 56 times in the New Testament, overall 19 times in Acts. It becomes a key location. Sunagoge is our word for today. Welcome to Reading the Bible Together podcast. I'm your host, Angela Smith. Today, we are talking about Acts chapter 13, and my guest today, I'm super excited, is the host of Susie Larson Live, of which I am one of the producers for that show. Welcome, Susie. So good to be with you again, Angie. I love having you on this side of the mic. What a treat and honor to be interviewed by you. Oh, so fun. And I'm I'm excited because... We're talking about God's word, which has good things to say. And then you always Mm -hmm. have good things to say. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Thank you. I always love our conversations. Okay. So we're talking about Acts chapter 13. What, What sticks out to you in this chapter? Well, there's a few things that jump out at me. One is, and let me, I'll get to it. I'll just give you my short point and kind of come around a circle to kind of uh, bring it around and unpack it a bit. But the pure in heart see God. And daily we're given choices between good and evil, right and wrong, death and life. So to jump into Acts 13, I first have to look at Ephesians 2 and 3, just if, I, if you don't mind. There's this line out of Ephesians 2 that jumped out at me, though I've read this book I don't a thousand times, and it says, well, I'll just give context. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. Here's the line. The commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And I was thinking, I've been pondering that idea that the devil is the spirit at work in the world today, in the hearts of wherever he finds access, working in the hearts of people, propelling them to do wrong. And it just hit me with such jarring kind of, I don't know, reality that when the devil finds an opening, he takes it. Okay, I knew that mm-hmm. much. But the fact that he's working in an unsaved people, but also in the hearts of believers 
who give him access. And then you jump over to Ephesians 3. I mean, listen to this. It is just so, so, so powerful. He's talking about when I think of the love of God and even his amazing plan to bring the Gentiles and the Jews together. Paul says, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. Listen to this. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the power of his spirit. Then, Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down deep into the soil of God's love, and it'll keep you strong. So first of all, it's God's love that keeps you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. So it's so great. You'll never understand it fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of the life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who's able, through his power at work within you, to accomplish infinitely more than you might ever dare to ask or think. All glory to God and through Christ Jesus through all generations forever. So he's saying here, God is able to do infinitely above all you could ever dare to ask or think, but it's according to the work he's allowed to do in your heart. Now, if I jump to Acts 13, there's this place in Acts 13 where Barnabas and Paul are commissioned uh, to go and be God's missionaries and to go preach the good news to the Jews and Gentiles alike. And there's this place where Paul's filled with the Spirit and he looks this sorcerer in the eye, this, this sorcerer who'd attached himself to the governor. So the governor had a seeking heart. He wanted to, to know God, but the sorcerer had attached himself to this man of influence. And you must know on the earth today, the enemy, again, is looking especially for positions of power. Just as there are ranks in the kingdom of God, there are angels and there's high-ranking angels. The same is true in the demonic realm. And you, if you think of the idea of him looking, the enemy using his minions to look for an opening to influence culture and how smart of him to try to attach himself to people of influence because he'll get the most mileage out of his influence. So this, this sorcerer had attached himself to this governor, but Paul's filled with the spirit of God with so much boldness. He looks that sorcerer in the eye and he says, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud. And then he goes on to tell him, you're going to be struck blind. And through that kind of supernatural act, the governor was so in awe that he actually began believing that God's power was greatest. Right there, it shows me, again, Every day we're given the choice between life and death. Now, if you jump ahead in in Acts 13, there's this point where Paul and Barnabas, they go to the synagogue, and the people at the synagogue honor them enough to say, tell us, do you have a word for us? In which case, Paul gets up and he basically preaches the gospel. He tells them what happened to Jesus, who Jesus was. And he's saying, listen to me, you Jews and Gentiles, you know, Jesus is the son of God and salvation has come to us. And he preached with such a compelling conviction that the people begged him to speak about these things again the next week. So the Jews and the devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and they urged them to, and Paul and Barnabas urged them to rely, continue to rely on the grace of God, not on performing, but on the grace of God. And so listen to this. I'm in verse 44 now in Acts 13. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So what did they do? They slandered Paul and they argued against whatever he said. In another translation, it talks about they picked apart everything he said. Now, I want you to try to imagine getting up to speak, getting up to teach, or you're doing anything about your job and others watching, and then there's someone in the shadows 
picking you apart, assigning your motive, telling people what a liar you are. And I, you know, I'm first right there, Angie, I thought how much theological critique that we see online mm. um, is actually motivated by jealousy? Mm-hmm. Because here's what's true. When you're motivated by the power of the spirit, when you dare to step out, there's always risk for you and there's a decision to be made for others. And you will at some times, you will every time, excite the jealousies of others. So some have good soil in their hearts and they are seeking God and God sent you to them because they're seeking. And in obedience, you know, they respond and they flourish and they thrive. So you see the fruit of your obedience. At the same time, you've got people whom the enemy is working in because he found access and they're going to pick you apart. And, and, you know, your stepping out, your purpose will excite the jealousies of others. So I guess that's what stands out to me today is the idea that, um, you know, even when you look at a little bit further down, you know, Paul's preaching with boldness. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad, and they thanked the Lord for the message. All who were chosen for eternal life became believers, so the Lord's message spread throughout the region. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women. So these women were considered religious, yet they could be manipulated to undermine a work of God. And the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. And so Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet. All of that to say, whenever God moves, we have a decision to make. And sometimes we have such archaic mindsets about because God moved like this back then, this is how he's supposed to move now. But he's always defying (laughs) our expectations. (laughs) And I just say it's an invitation for us not only to guard our heart because the enemy will use people outside the faith, but I think he does his most damage by using people inside the faith and that we could be so fixated, so focused on Jesus and on mission that people will do what they do and God will deal as he deals but I think as the more bold we walk in, the more boldness we walk in, the more uh, filled with the spirit that we are, the more lives will be saved and changed and the more communities will be transformed. So that's a long-winded round the mountain, but that's what stands out to me in that passage. You know, all through the, the chapters that we've been studying, I've been amazed at the, the Holy Spirit. I've been amazed at what the Holy Spirit is doing through people. I've been amazed at the power of the Holy Spirit and focusing so much on the Holy Spirit that I hadn't taken Ephesians 2, 2 into consideration before. So mm. I appreciate that you're, you're kind of not the other side of the coin, but you're presenting, you know, why the Holy Spirit maybe needs to be so powerful or mm-hmm. that how we can see the Holy Spirit's power in comparison to the power. I mean, I mean, spoiler alert, the Holy Spirit wins. But yeah. um, but that we have a choice in who we're going to follow. And that conversation between the sorcerer who's um, working with the governor mm-hmm. remind me, I don't know if you've seen the Lord of the Rings movies. I think it's mm-hmm. in the second one. There's a king. Yes, I thought of the same scene. Keep yeah, yes. Worm, Wormtail, I think is the guy's name. And he's a sorcerer and he's taken over the king. And the king is, you know, he looks old and his eyes are cloudy and... But then once his uh, spell is lifted, the king is himself again and the king, you know, is powerful again. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of, too. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the thing is, you know, Scripture in the New Testament says, you know, be careful so you don't drift. Well, how do we drift? 
well, we stopped listening to God. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I told you before, I once did kind of a study. It was around 2020 when things were really hitting the fan, not only in our nation, but all over the place. I just started to feel like we were exiles in Babylon. I mean, we're starting to see this acceleration of things that are so uh, anti-God. And I'm like, Lord, how did we get here? So I thought, I'm going to look at the Israelites and how how was it? How did they drift to the point that they were exiled to Babylon? And the very first thing that they did was they stopped seeking God. They were listening to other voices. Mm. You can only listen to one voice at a time. And what happened then, because they listened to other voices, their hearts grew hard. Now, you think about that. Sometimes you feel like you're listening to good voices or okay voices or they're not evil voices. They're just not maybe the voice of the Lord. But anytime you turn away from God's voice and seeking him above all else, your heart actually gets hard. And then your ears go deaf because you can't hear what he's saying because you're not seeking his voice. And that was sobering, Angie, because you think about as believers, you know, we're sincere followers. But let's say something happens with you, someone in your neighborhood or at your church, and you just keep rehearsing it. You know, I got something Mm -hmm. that happened recently that it's like, ah, that hurt. And if I keep rehearsing it to the point where I let my heart get bitter, well, suddenly the enemy has access. And I've seen this in believers, and I'm sure you have too, where they've gotten so bitter that you even seem like they get more wrinkles, <laughs> really. <laughs> and and they're saying things that are acidic. And they're not, they're, there's like a, do you know what I'm saying? They're, mm-hmm, they're, mm-hmm. They're, well, there's bitterness. And the thing is, watch out, Scripture says, so that the root of bitterness doesn't spring up and what? Defile many. So guarding our hearts is of extreme importance. And I think in this day, as the love of most grows cold, we're going to have a lot of opportunity to be offended. You know, as lawlessness increases, love decreases. And as love decreases, offenses increase. And so we are going to have to know how to process the things that we encounter in a Christ-like way that leaves us so full of winsome joy and, and expectancy that God is my defender. He's my deliverer. I'm going to keep showing up because I I want to I want to treasure the gift of the Spirit of God in me so much, and I need to be used by Him for this world. That I I'm just going to trust my offenses to God; He'll take care of them. And I know that's a simplistic way to say it, and we can do other shows on, you know, how to deal with some of those conflicts. But the point being, what we allow in our hearts um, is of supreme importance of how we walk out our call. Yeah. Something that we talked about in chapter 11 that with Peter, and I think the same is true for Saul and Barnabas here, is that they were about the God's work, about God's work. And they knew that what was being done was being done by the Holy Spirit through them. And so it was about God. Do you know what I mean? That, you know, when people Mm -hmm, are coming back mm -hmm. at them and Mm -hmm. questioning them and taking things apart, those people are really, they don't really have a problem with Saul and Barnabas. They have a problem with God. That's and right. and I think Saul and Barnabas dusting the feet their uh, the dust off their feet when they leave the town was you know th- this this is this was God's to deal with and we've done all we can do and so we're going to move on to the next thing. There's nothing personal. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely no. And and the thing is, the more the Spirit of God fills us, the more the the flesh in us dies. So you know the fear of man has to go because it's like you who's whose opinion holds too much power over Mm. you. Well, that's the very place where the enemy can deceive you, manipulate you or whatever. But to walk in the fear of the Lord, you know, the Bible says the fear of man is a snare, but the fear of God is safety and freedom. But to love and honor and revere God to such a degree to say, Lord, I can't control what they do, 
but I can control what I do, and I'm going to fear you. I'm going to walk in a fear of the Lord, knowing you are my greatest defender. And I just know from experience and from searching Scripture that a humble heart before the Lord no matter if they've got a, you know accusers coming at them, he is the one. When you bow low, he rises up in your defense every time. He will defend you every time. And so somehow, someway, I feel like this is an, a really great opportunity for us to shift our weight more firmly on. He is my defense. He's my strong tower. He is my refuge. But Lord, since that's true, fill me with compassion for the lost, the least, and the hurting. And uh, because you can't really impart what you don't possess. And as the Christ's compassion fills you and his fierce power fills you, then you don't need their approval. You can minister to their needs, even if they're not understanding who you are at all. And I just think, wow, what a, what a day for us to know God's love, but to walk in his purposes and his power as well. Oh, thank you, Susie. This was so good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I always love our conversation. So thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for Acts chapter 13. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. And we'll see you next time for Acts chapter 14. The Reading the Bible Together podcast is a production of Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Hosted, produced, and edited by Angela Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, consider financially supporting Faith Radio. Find more information at MyFaithRadio.com.